Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 274. Have you ever considered dining at a Zumi Japanese restaurant on a Royal Caribbean cruise? This week, we have a guide to what you need to know about dining at a Zumi on any Royal Caribbean ship. Here we go. If you've listened to this podcast at any kind of length or maybe checked us out on our Facebook Live videos or read enough blog posts on RoyalGreenBlog.com, it becomes quickly evident that I'm quite the fan of Izumi, one of the specialty restaurants available on most Royal Caribbean cruise ships. And it's probably not that surprising then for you to hear that this week's episode is all about Izumi. And what I wanted to do this week was not just sing the praises of Izumi, but kind of give an overview and an introduction to how Izumi works and provide basically the what you need to know about dining at Izumi. And this hopefully will spark a series of podcast episodes we're going to do over the next weeks and months talking about some of the more popular specialty dining restaurants that are out there, especially ones that are on a number of Royal Caribbean ships, because specialty dining has never been any, as, as popular as it is today. It is a interesting phenomenon to watch, because if you had cruised with Royal Caribbean, I think as even as short as maybe 10 years ago, you would have noticed a major shift from specialty dining being this kind of like tertiary, on I would say on the fringes, but a kind of an experience that you almost you know, didn't really think that much about to now being arguably a main component to the dining experience. And I often tell people, look, you don't have to go and eat only at specialty dining, but I do believe it's a great way to augment, to improve your cruise experience. And today I wanted to talk about Izumi. Izumi is the Japanese sushi restaurant available on pretty much most Royal Caribbean ships. Uh, It's really surprising because there's so many ships now that offer Izumi and it wasn't like they added Izumi all that long ago. It's not like, you know, Chops Grills on pretty much all ships, with a few exceptions. But that's because Chops has been around in Royal Caribbean forever. Whereas Izumi is kind of still a relative newcomer, not quite the newest kid on the block by any means. But uh, it has spread across a number of ships. I think primarily because it can fit into a lot of different spaces that that other restaurants can't. And it doesn't necessarily require the kind of kitchen setup that other specialty restaurants do. So as a result, it's kind of been suited or well-suited, I should say, to being adopted on a lot of different ships. And if you go on a Voyager class ship, if you go on a Radiance class ship, if you go on an Oasis class ship, you're going to run into this. Now, there's two types of Izumi experiences on Royal Caribbean. There is the sushi side or the traditional Izumi experience, and there's the hibachi side. And we'll talk about the traditional one first because this is the most prevalent option. If you're on any Royal Caribbean that has an Izumi, this will be, at at the very least, an option for you to choose. And Izumi comes in a couple different flavors depending on the class ships you're talking about. And what I mean by this is, depending on the ship you're on, there may or may not be certain options, but we'll start with the core of Izumi and work our way up from there. At its very core, Izumi will offer you, well, sushi, as you might imagine. There's quite a bit of sushi available on Royal Caribbean ships at, at Izumi. I feel like the... Uh, you know, as someone who enjoys sushi on shore and on land and on ship, I'll tell you that uh, I feel like the menu that Izumi offers is pretty large, all things considered, because usually when you go on a cruise ship, you have to compromise in a lot of cases the types of options that are available. I mean, sushi is really built on an idea of fresh, you know, raw fish, right? I mean, that's, that's the basics of sushi right there. And, you know, when you talk about fresh food, cruise ships, 
safety, health. It's a whole different ballgame when it comes to all that. But there is a surprisingly large menu. Now, I got to tell you off the bat, if you're someone who says, oh, sushi, raw fish, no thank you. I'll tell you that Izumi is more than just sushi. It's not just a bunch of rolls and sashimi and, and things of that nature and just, you know, nothing but fish. There is plenty of other choices on the menu as well. My wife does not eat sushi. She doesn't eat anything resembling sushi. She doesn't like fish at all, cooked or otherwise. So, you know, going to Izumi, there are still other choices available on the menu. In fact, the menu, as I mentioned, is fairly large. And you're, you'll find a lot of different options. I would say the go-to non-sushi option is got to be, depending on the ship you're going on, of course, the Hot Rocks is a great choice. The Hot Rocks are basically literally a hot slab of rock in which you can order beef, chicken, shrimp, vegetables, and you cook it in front of you on the Hot Rock. It is an incredible uh, thing. To, it's a lot of fun. It's basically the... <laughs> I, got, I hate to say it this way. It's like the Japanese equivalent to uh, the uh, a what you might find at a Mexican restaurant when you order the fajitas, right? You know, they always come out like steaming like that. But in this case, you cook it in front of you. And it's basically uh, rock slab heated up to 575 degrees Fahrenheit. And you get a serving of raw meat uh, and vegetables that you cook at your table. And the hot rocks are available on all vision Radiance and most Voyager class ships, with the exception of Adventure of the Seas. Uh, Quanta class ships have sushi, hot appetizers, and noodles, but don't have the hot rock. And the Oasis class do not have the hot rock either because they have a arguably superior option. We'll talk about it in a little bit. Um, but this is a great choice, the hot rock, if you're not into sushi. It's a it's a lot of fun, quite frankly. Kids will love it too. And it's really, really enjoyable. But I'll tell you that when it comes to the sushi, there's a lot of great choices on there. I like to go for the combo dishes. I feel like they offer not only a great value, but a good array of different sushi to try. And I'll tell you that if you're looking at the menu and you're looking at the various combo offers that are out there, don't be afraid to ask for a substitution. Because as some, I don't eat shellfish and I don't care for other kinds of fish. And I'll often say, hey, can I order the, as an example, my go-to combination plate is the DX sushi combo. But the DX sushi combo comes with a serving of shrimp. I don't eat shrimp. So I will actually ask... The waiter, hey, can I swap out the shrimp for some kind of fish? I don't care which one it is. And they're very accommodating with it. In fact, you know, when I swap it out, I kind of expect them to give me, like, you know, the cheapest fish option. But they'll often just put in, here's some more tuna, here's some more salmon, whatever you're interested in. So definitely don't be afraid to ask for substitutions or alterations to, the, to that extent. Um, really, really good stuff. If you're looking for a roll that, if you like more fried rolls uh, or and or rolls that are meals in and of themselves... Definitely the check out the chef's signature rolls. By far, the Izumi Ryu Futamaki roll is a great choice. Uh, it is a definitely a fulfilling roll, and it's got a sort of sashimi, scallions, spicy aioli, cream cheese, salad in there, ginger teppan dressing. Oh, it's got a little bit of kick to it, too. It's a giant sushi roll, but a really, really good choice as well uh, for anyone that's interested in that. As I mentioned, the uh, DX Sushi Combo, my favorite combination plate by far. Uh, also of interest, something that's been added recently to, to Izumi's menus is the mixed poke taco. And what I love about this is it's a combination of great crunchy texture along with, of course, some excellent uh, sashimi fish, right? Really, really good stuff. Uh, this is something that Real Crane recently added to their menu. And it's an appetizer. It's great for sharing because, of course, they're like little mini tacos. I think you get like four or five of them. And they're really, really tasty if you like tuna. Boy, you're going to like this uh, quite a bit. A, a great choice 
to enjoy. You know, there's also, I mean, the appetizer menu, I think, is a vastly underrated aspect of Izumi. There's a lot of great choices on there. I like the tuna wasabi option on there. Of course, I'm a, when I go to any Japanese restaurant, I need to have a bowl of miso soup. That, to me, is a staple of any Japanese meal. So I'll get that for sure. And then, uh, you know, but check it out. Be, be a little bit adventurous. I think it's not a bad option for looking for some other uh, choices there. So that's essentially the sushi side. And if you happen to be on an Oasis-class ship, you really need to make plans to check out the hibachi side. Hibachi is like is teppanyaki dining. It's similar to Benihana or any of those other type of restaurants you probably have near your house. But this is obviously where they cook in front of you. It is little to no fish involved. Actually, it's great for people who don't like sushi at all. It's a terrific choice. It's a lot of fun. Great for families. And hibachi is extremely popular. Hibachi is something that, I'll tell you, I feel like is become one of the hardest things to book on a Royal Caribbean ship, especially in terms of dining, because there's just not that many. There's not that much availability for it. In some cases, on the they're only available on the Oasis class ships, and there's only so many seating for it. They kind of squeezed it into a space there next to the existing Izumi location, and it's terrific. I got to tell you, uh, if you've ever done it on land, you know what I'm talking about. Essentially, you've never done this before. Hibachi is there's a large table in which you sit around the edges of the table, usually about um, six or eight guests or whatever, some maybe even more than that, right? And you will dine with other guests, so you should be aware of that. And when you're sitting there at the table, a chef comes over and will take your order. You can either order you can order lobster, you can order steak, you can order chicken, uh, you can order combinations thereof. And what they will do is actually cook the entire meal in front of you. There's a in front of your where you're seated. It's, imagine the table is essentially a semicircle or more of a half a square. I don't know which shape we want to go with here, but you're sitting on the outside of it, and the chef is in the middle. And the chef will cook in front of you. There's a large heated stove that uh, metal stove, I should say, and everything is cooked on top of it. And Basically, it's not just the chef is cooking in front of you. There is a show component to it. They really make it entertaining. Uh, they cook all your food to order. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and again, if you've never done this before, uh, you need to, and you want to try it out before you go on a cruise ship, You know, go to a local Benihana and see it there. But on Royal Caribbean, they do a great job. And this has been one of those really home run type additions that Royal Caribbean offers. I'll tell you, though, it goes very quickly. And my recommendation are you make a reservation before your cruise. Now, the hibachi is not included in any specialty dining package. I know I'm a big fan of the dining packages, and if you're going to eat at multiple specialty restaurants, I recommend you get a dining package. But I'll also tell you that because the hibachi is not included in the dining package, do yourself a favor and pre-book it before the cruise. Reservations are extremely hard to get, especially once you get on board that ship, man. You will regularly see guests going up to Zoom and saying, hey, can I get a reservation? And being turned away or having to eat dinner at like either 5 o'clock p.m. or like 9.30 p.m., you know, some weird times there. So, again, my recommendation is make reservations as soon as you can. Now, there's two tiers of hibachi pricing uh, when you're talking about what you're going to eat at Izumi. Uh, What that means is there's a core menu that you can get where basically uh, there's a certain certain protein, certain meats are included. And if you're interested, and depending on what type of meat you're interested in, usually combinations, you pay a little bit more to get that. So at, its, at a basic, you're, you can choose between uh, chicken breast, beef tenderloin, and shrimp. So if you book this online, that's what you'll see. You'll see an option to book it, and that's the price point you'll get at. At the restaurant, you can opt to upgrade and get maybe a combination. So the combination for 
Uh, usually it's about uh, 5 or $10 more per person. You can upgrade to beef and tiger shrimp, chicken breast and shri- tiger shrimp, New York steak and chicken breast, uh, scallops and lobster, right? So it depends what kind of meat you're looking at. I'll tell you that, I mean, obviously if you're if you're in the mood for lobster or a combination of some of the, maybe an improved steak, obviously the upgrade options are there. I'm perfectly fine and always with chicken or, or beef. I, I don't know that it's a real, uh, you know, major uh, upgrade for me to, to go beyond that. But what that will include will be, uh, of course, uh, your the, the meat you're ordering, the vegetables, and some fried rice that comes with it. So that's included in the teppanyaki pricing. Beyond that, you can also always order off the regular Izumi menu while you're at Hibachi. It's going to have additional costs to it, obviously. But you know, if you're eating there and you want to have a, a sushi roll or perhaps something else off the regular menu, you can do so as well. Uh, again, if you're eating, also if you're on an Oasis class ship, there are no hot rocks. The hot rocks are in lieu of Hibachi. So obviously on an Oasis class ship, you'll have Hibachi. And on Voyager, most Voyager class ships, you know, Radiance class ships, Vision class ships, you'll have the Hot Rocks as an option for you as well. So, again, the good news is we're talking about a teppanyaki, Hot Rocks, and there's some great noodle dishes as well on the menu that, again, have no fish in them. No, uh, You don't have to be a big fish guy. But when it comes to the actual, of course, sushi itself, there's so many great choices. I, I go back and forth. I try so much of it. I think, you know, when it comes to sushi, again, if you're a sushi fan, you probably already know this, is... It's about exploring. It's about trying new options that are out there, you know, kind of experimenting. I usually go with a, let me grab one or two favorites and then go for maybe something new to work in and see how that goes. And if it's awful, well, I can always just, you know, fall back on my favorites later on to enjoy that. Uh, but a really nice thing. One thing I want to talk about when it comes to Izumi and something that's really good if you're kind of new to sushi or not sure you want to necessarily eat a meal at Izumi or something in between there. So, you know, kind of you're on the fence to some extent or another. I would recommend the Izumi sushi making class. This is a really fun option that's available on pretty much every Royal Caribbean ship that has Izumi. Basically, it offers guests the opportunity to try to make sushi in a class. So basically, you learn how to roll your own sushi and go from there. And I'll be an, I'll be honest, when I first heard about this, I didn't do it for a number of years. Not because I don't like sushi, because I love sushi, but I was always like, eh, I'm not really big into the whole, like, hey, let's learn to make it. I just enjoy eating it. I don't want to, I don't, <laughs> don't want to make my own sushi. I want to pay someone to make it for me so I can eat it. But the reality is, this is actually a lot of fun. I did this on Brilliance of the Seas, and after doing it, I instantly regretted not doing it sooner because first and foremost, uh, the sushi making class is obviously an introduction to how to make sushi. And basically it's a class session to be with other guests as well. And one of the chefs from Izumi will instruct you on how to make sushi. It's kind of fun. And you get to try out, I believe, three different types of sushi rolls. And at the end of it, you get to eat it. And it is basically a meal in and of itself. So because they give you so much sushi that you're making there, you're not leaving there hungry. I thought, you know, you may have like, you know, like one roll or something like that. No, no, no. There's plenty. You're not leaving the sushi making glass hungry. So what I would add is if you're looking to maybe do a combination, you want to do something fun, but you also want to try the sushi, this is a great choice and a lot of fun. You can also bring if you maybe, you know, you want to do it, but your spouse really isn't into it, just wants to watch. You can do that as well. Uh, you can book this before uh, online via the cruise planner. You can also book the sushi making glass on board the ship. There's usually availability on board the ship, but I'll tell you that it's it's a lot of fun. If you if you love sushi as much as I do, definitely do it. If you're on the fence about Izumi, this is a great option to do it. It's a lot of fun too. That's the key. I think that's what's really missing here. This isn't like a 
culinary class in the sense of like how to become a formal uh, sushi chef far from it this is just a fun excuse to kind of you know literally roll up your sleeves and get into the sushi making habit it's a lot of fun i'll tell you but overall i like azumi quite a bit you know with the especially dining packages uh, let me go back to that for a moment we talked about obviously it's the dining packages not include hibachi but they do include a uh, stipend to be used at azumi I probably should have mentioned this earlier. Izumi is priced a la carte. What that means is, unlike Chop's Grill or 150 Central Park or some other specialty restaurants, there is no cover charge. You're not there. There is no inclusive cost. What it means is, when you go to Izumi, you pay for what you order. So if you order one roll, you'll pay for just for one roll. If you order ten rolls, God bless you. You're going to order ten. Ro- you're going to pay for ten rolls. So with the dining packages, you will pay a you'll get a stipend rather that covers about thirty five dollars per person to use and yes you can you can group that money so if you're eating with you know you and your spouse obviously that you'll have seventy dollars spent between the two of you which can be spent on alcohol or food whichever you want to go with and it's actually a decent amount I'll tell you as someone who eats a lot and enjoys the sushi thirty five dollars is pretty good uh, it used to be a little bit higher with the dining packages that Welcome has brought that down but it's still I feel way more than enough for Certainly one meal. I'm not. I'm never leaving there hungry with that, especially with my wife who doesn't ever maximize her value on that. But $35 will get you, you know, a couple of rolls, maybe an appetizer. Depends on how you do the math. I, I freely admit I sit there and kind of try to figure out the right strategy to maximize that money that I'm using on there. Uh, but you know, it's it, the nice thing is it's it's a great value. I think for $35. I mean, you know, I'm not sure that I would eat quite that much if I was paying cash, but. It's, it's a really good choice. I will mention a couple other things I want, some general tips about Izumi. If you're looking, uh, you can always order, by the way, Izumi to go. So if they're open, and they're open usually from about 5, 5.30 until some point in the evening. Also, they're usually open for lunch on sea days. You can obviously dine in there, or you can actually take it to go. You can call it in, to you know, just like takeout. Go to your stateroom, pick up the phone, call them, and, hey, can I order you know a couple of rolls to pick up? And then you just go up there, you know, wait 10 minutes, and they'll have it ready for you, pick it up. And you're on your way, so you can bring it back to your room, bring it back to your balcony, bring it to the pool deck. Uh, it's a great choice. So it's probably one of the few, if only, especially restaurants in which you really can do to-go orders, and it kind of makes sense because sushi is so mobile. It's a great option for doing that. So keep that in mind. If you're looking to get a last-minute dining deal, uh, definitely go in when they first open. There's a sushi bar that you can almost always get seating at. Zumi can be very popular, but I feel like the sushi bar is the last Phillips of the year. If you're there by yourself, it's a great place to go. And even if you're there with just, you know, two or three or four people, the sushi bar is usually available. But again, uh, I would recommend getting there early. A lot of times we do late dinner, you know, we do our eight o'clock dinner, and I'll go to Zumi for a pre-dinner option where I'll go there for like almost a, a pre-dinner snack, like around like when they open at five or 5.30, and I'll roll in there, walk in, say, hey, can I just you know grab something, sit at the bar? And there's usually plenty of availability there, and they can get you a quick roll to go or a soup or something like that just to you know keep tide me over until dinner, so to speak. But it's a really, really nice choice there. And the drink packages do work at Izumi, just like most especially restaurants if it's in the price threshold. In terms of sake, there's usually one sake, hot sake, included with the drink package, the ultimate alcohol package. So obviously, if you're a sake fan, be sure to ask for that. And there's also a fairly decent selection of beers beyond the, just the traditional like Sapporo, or there's usually a Kirin, a, uh, and a couple others as well. So anyway, check on that. It's a, it's a fun menu that they have, and they have actually some specialty cocktails specifically for uh, Izumi. So 
Good choice. But overall, I'm a big fan of it. And I think the the bottom line is to understand also, if you're not a big sushi fan, don't worry. There's still things to try there. Uh, go up to Izumi on your next cruise. Look at their menu. And definitely, I mean, hibachi has to be a must-do. I'm going to label that must-do, whether you're a sushi fan or not. And then, of course, always working in some sushi is always a great idea, if you ask me. And try out that sushi-making class. Another great choice. All right, let's answer some Royal Caribbean emails. These are the emails that our listeners sent us to be answered right here on the podcast. And if you're saying to yourself, boy, that'd be swell to send in my own emails to Matt. Well, good good news, Johnny. You can have your email sent to us by sending them to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Our first email is from Margaret Rice. I was just listening to episode about Wi-Fi on Royal Caribbean episode 268, and you mentioned the internet cafes on board. One use I found for them is if you'd like to do online check-in for flights after the cruise, these cafes tend to have a printer where you can print your boarding pass. Keep the excellent work on the blog and podcast. Hope to see you soon on a group cruise. Mark, thank you for the email. I appreciate you sending it from somewhere deep in the heart of uh, frozen Canada. And, you know, Mark, that's a great point. I will point out also that I've had pretty good luck with getting printouts on board a Royal Caribbean ship for no fee via one of two places. One would be primarily the Diamond Lounge, if you happen to be a Diamond member of Crown and Anchor Society. The concierge will print out pretty much anything you can send to them. The other one being uh, the guest services will actually a lot of times allow you to do this for the purposes of check-in, right? If you want to print out like your kid's report card or photos or some email chain letter, probably not. But if you want to check into your flight, you need to print out your boarding pass. Absolutely true, Mark. That's a really good point. I'll also point out that in pretty much all airports, especially here in the United States, you know, you can do online check-in and then pick up your boarding pass at one of the many, many, many self-serve kiosks that you can find in the airport as soon as you enter there. So don't have to feel necessarily under the gun to get your boarding pass before you get on board. But I can understand why some people might want to do it, especially if you're doing, uh, you know, carry-on luggage on the airplane. But Mark, it's a, it's a decent point i just try i tend to recommend not using them at all those internet cafes that royal Caribbean still has are pretty antiquated both in terms of not only approach but the equipment the hardware is actually really old so (laughs) next we have an email from uh david who writes hey matt we're cruising out of baltimore and grand europe of the seas in january we're interested in seeing the everglades or something similar and have two options in our ports orlando port canaveral miami we have the following questions have you taken one of these excursions? Do you have any tips or suggestions? Uh, since these ports are... Let me start with the goals. Let's go question by question. No, I've not done any of these uh, ports, any of these excursions in either of those ports being... Uh, the only excursion I've ever done in the state of Florida on a Royal Caribbean cruise has been Kennedy Space Center out of Cape Canaveral. Next, um, David wants to know, since these ports are starting and stopping points for many cruises, some excursions are worded as including drop-off at the airport. I assume this is meant for folks booking an excursion on disembarkation day. How do I ensure that I select the excursion I'll return to the ship and not the airport? Oh, don't worry about that. That's just copy and paste. <laughs> I mean, I'm guilty of doing this too on RoyalCreamBlog.com sometimes. It's just copy and paste. Don't worry too much about it. Trust me, if your excursion is coming from a ship that's there for the day, you're going to get back there. I, there's, I would have no... It wouldn't even cross my mind. Let's put it that way, as, as, an, as an issue there. Uh, airboats, electric boats, and pontoon boats are all offered. Are they pros and cons to each? I think airboats are certainly the most, uh, I don't want to say stereotypical, but the most used way to see swamplands. Uh, they get to places where others can't, and they have a lot more power to them. They're also louder. You get a lot of bugs you're going to run into because you're going at high speeds. But I kind of feel like if I was going to do one, I'd probably do airboats. But this is an uninformed opinion here based on just my observations. So, 
Uh, David also says, one is listed as Lone Cabbage style, with no explanation what that means. A quick Google search brings up Lone Cabbage Fish Camp, which offers airboat rides, but don't know if this is related. Any idea? Well, as the tree said to the lumberjack, David, I'm stumped. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Maybe someone in our can post some answers here, and maybe they even share their experiences doing either airboats or pontoon boats or electric boats in the Everglades in... Uh, our comments for this episode. I would point out that if you're going to have the choice between Miami or or Port Canaveral, you definitely want to go to Miami. Uh, the Everglades National Park is the the swampland to visit. Uh, it, it's night and day difference. While you can do airboat rides in the you know greater Orlando Port Canaveral area, uh, if you're going to do if you're going to do one, you may as well do them down there in uh, down in the in the Everglades National Park. It's just by large the the place to go. Next is our email is from Amber in St. Pete, Florida. I sailed to Cuba on Majesty of the Seas and I'm so excited. I'm a little concerned about filling out the form that states what I'll be doing. I know on a previous podcast you mentioned that you would just check the support of the Cuban people box if you went again. But when I researched this, some people said that Royal Greenport agents gave them a hard time and made them check the third party tour box instead. As of right now, I have no excursions booked. If I check two, box two, which is third party, just to avoid any issues when boarding, am I required to show proof of something? Does anyone check at any point prior to boarding to see if I booked anything? Additionally, is a van like other Caribbean ports where you can just walk off the ship and find tours to sign up for when you get there? Or if I walk off the ship and explore, will anyone ever know? Amber, this is a really good question. And in my experience, uh, the, the, the only there's only one group, one organization, if you will, that cares about what you do in Canada, and that's the U.S. State Department. Cuba doesn't care. Royal Caribbean doesn't care in the sense of they're not double-checking on what you're actually doing. Uh, the The issue is, as a U.S. citizen, Amber, you in order to visit Cuba, you have to fulfill one of these you know requirements. You can't just go there arbitrarily, willy-nilly. But these requirements are written so loosely that you know it's there's really a it really is meaningless if you ask me. B, no one's checking. When I went on my cruise to Cuba, nobody cared. I think this is really like keeping your tax returns for like seven years, something which is something people tell you to do, is that on the off chance somebody questions you about it, right? You know, you, I don't know in what scenario that would happen, you'd have to show proof that you went to Cuba for a good reason, right? I, I'm not sure what those circumstances would be, but from start to finish, including, I thought they were going to ask me when our cruise was over and we had to come back through customs, they might ask you there, but no, there was no issues there at all. Uh, I, you know, supporting the Cuban people is so vague that you could argue that if you buy food or buy a souvenir, you are supporting the Cuban people because you're buying something, they're making money off of you, and bada bing, bada boom, you're all done. I mean, heck, just your visit there and paying the, the, the taxes on visiting because you have to pay the visa and whatnot. I mean, that's supporting the Cuban people because that money's going back to the government, right? I mean, it's so vague. So let me put it this way. If Royal Caribbean gives you a hard time about it, that's just because I think part of it is people not knowing what the form is all about and that if you are doing a tour, you should check the doing a tour box. That's what I would do if I was doing a tour. But Amber, if you want to get off the ship and just walk around aimlessly and explore and eat and take photos and that kind of stuff like you might do in maybe San Juan or Cozumel, yes, you can do that. And certainly, you know, support of the Cuban people would, would qualify for that. I would say that if someone gave me a hard time about it, if Royal Caribbean said, oh, you need to really fill out this one, okay, whatever, it doesn't, really, it doesn't matter is what I'm trying to say, because ultimately, there's no one that's really checking up on you. It's one of those things that hypothetically, they, the U.S. government could care, but ultimately, Royal Caribbean doesn't care, the Cu- Cubans don't care, it's just a U.S. government rule, and I think Royal Caribbean just wants to, you know, make sure they're they're doing their best to make sure that everybody who's visiting is following the rules as best they can, and certainly if you are taking a tour, you can do that, so... There you go. Now, your question is, can you walk off the ship and get a tour guide? Yeah. When you walk out of the terminal, you'll find, first of all, you're going to find probably a line of 
tour guides, usually in the form of people that are offering car rides, like there's classic American cars, there may be some other tour guides there as well, and you can hop in there. Like as an example, after our formal Royal Caribbean tour, we were walking around and told my wife, I was like, oh, I want to go in a, in a classic American car, just say I've done it, and I also want to see the U.S., the, the U.S., the Cuban Capitol building one more time. And so what we did is I flagged down one of these drivers in a, in a classic car, and I said, hey, we want to go for a ride in your car, but can you also take us to this place? And honestly, I could have said, hey, can you take us to place A, place B, place C, place D? As long as you're willing to pay for it and negotiate the rate, absolutely, he would have done that for you. And that's a tour. <laughs> it doesn't have to be just, you don't have to go to tour guide school in order to be a tour guide or offer tours. Uh, you can absolutely do that. You can also just walk off the ship and start exploring. Uh, you know, it, I think for some reason, I can understand, I, I was certainly think under the same impression, I think people are, you know, when they think of Cuba, they imagine this like ultra secure like checkpoint that you're going through a la almost like akin to like the berlin wall where you're getting off the ship and they're like hey amber what are you doing over here where are you going where's your papers nobody cares nobody cares you're on the vacation there people are working there it's it is very similar to so many other ports you've been to there's obviously some some there's some differences there but see if you want to walk off the ship just like you said amber and just find a tour guide or just start walking around and then maybe find a guide absolutely i would recommend though if you're looking to do a tour, if you're saying, Matt, I want to do a tour, I want to go see a bunch of these places, my advice is to definitely book that ahead of time. You only stand to benefit from that, whether you're booking through Royal Caribbean or a third party. It's just going to make your life a whole lot easier and simpler, quite frankly. And I'm not sure that you want to necessarily start trying to track somebody down. Because, again, a lot of these tours that are offered, I'll, you know, just off the bat, people, you know, in these cars... It's hard to say really, you know, what kind of a experience they'll give you in terms of, you know, how knowledgeable they are about the stuff, right? Um, you want to make sure you get someone who's, you know, does a good job and all that kind of stuff. But if you're if you're saying, Matt, I also just want to walk around. I just want to eat at some places, do a little bit of shopping, you know, just do uh, so, and, and otherwise take photos and explore a little bit on my own. I think you can do that, too. And then I would just check that support of the Cuban people box. So don't sweat it is what I'm trying to say. And uh, I did. No, no pun intended, even though you probably will sweat quite a bit in a van. <laughs> Odds are you're going to sweat quite a lot, actually. Next, we have an email from uh, Sue Steckler. It's, Matt, love your podcast. Perfect to listen to as I work, as I go to work, reminding me when I'm working why, that I could be cruising. I have back-to-back cruises on Ovation of the Seas coming up in April 2020 in Australia. It'll be a nine-day Queensland cruise, followed by a Trans-Pacific. I'd love to hear a podcast on Australia or and or, I should say, on Trans-Pacific Cruising. I'm a huge fan of the Transatlantics, so that'd be another podcast possibility. Any chance these could be done? Sue, thank you so much for the email. You know, we've done an episode with uh, my very good friend, uh, Pippa Madden, who does the Ocean Time YouTube videos. And we did an episode not too long ago. Of course, Pippa, you know, Pippa's, a, Pippa's a such a great supporter and awesome person. And Pippa's always like, if, if I were to ask Pippa every week, Pippa, do you want to record a podcast about cruising, whether it's Australia or New Jersey? She'd be down for it. Uh, I'm trying to remember when we did the last one about Australia. I'm kind of scrolling through here really quickly. It was sometime in last year. But uh, we've done an episode about that. But to your point, we probably haven't done. I think we did more like South Pacific cruising than anything else. But I will tell you that we probably are overdue to, to review it again. Uh, and I think that I'm sure Pippa's ears are perking up as she hears this right now. Probably sending me an email. Crikey, Matt, that'd be lovely. It's a terrible accent. I know. You don't have to send me an email about that. I already know I do terrible accents. But uh, maybe we'll have the people on there talk about cruises out of Australia. It's, such a, it's amazing to me. We're talking about Cuba, but Australia is huge. Uh, episode 193. Wow, that was a long time ago. I thought that was like, to me, it was like last week. Not true at all. Uh, anyway, 
Uh, episode 193, we talked about Australia cruises, but I will tell you that we are overdue for another episode about Australia. So we'll have to make that happen for you, Sue. Thank you, thank you so much for the email there. Next is a email from... Uh, who is our next email from? Uh, Sarah from Kansas, who writes... Hi, Matt. I've been listening to your blog ever since we booked a 40th birthday cruise for my husband six months ago. It's so helpful for families like mine. I have a 10-year-old with autism. He's really excited about the cruise, but does better when he knows what to expect. We're sailing on Liberty of the Seas over Christmas this year. Can you give us an idea what Christmas what a Christmas on a cruise ship is like? We have the presents and the Santa issue settled, but is there anything special about the cruise other than the decorations? Thanks for the help. Your podcast is a great source. Wow, Sarah, thank you so much for the email. It really means a lot. And I'll tell you, uh, first of all, your son notwithstanding, I'd say I like, I feel much more comfortable when I know exactly what to expect and have a good frame of reference for things around that time. Because I'll tell you, you know, there's, Royal Caribbean does a lot of great things, and I think their holiday cruises are vastly underrated for those type of experiences. You know, I had a, a good friend of mine went on Harmony, was it Harmony or Oasis? He went on an Oasis class ship last year uh, over Christmas. I'm actually looking at the cruise compass. First thing I would do, let me, and I'm going to, I'm going to do what I'm telling you to do. Go to RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Go to our Cruise Compass archive, uh-huh. and this is basically a collection of past cruise compasses that people send me. And we do have a number from over the holidays. Like, we have one here from Harmony of the Seas from December 23rd, 2017. So, obviously, that went over Christmas. In terms of the events for Christmas, it's going to be limited, Real other than decorations, obviously, will be on there the whole sailing. But a lot of the events are going to be happening on Christmas Day. Uh, there's going to be special events there on board the ship. For that, uh, there's there's I'm going there's 8 a.m. Uh, it says here Santa's estimated arrival on Harmony of the Seas. Please join us for a quick parade through the Central Park and the Royal Promenade. So you've got uh, that event right over there. There's a Santa's gift giving for children ages six months to 17 years old. There's 9 a.m. Christmas morning mass. Uh, there's a meet with King Julian, which has nothing to do with Christmas, but <laughs> why not? At 11 a.m. There's a holiday scavenger hunt. Uh, there at one o'clock there's holiday themed color your stress away. It's basically just coloring, but, you know, that works too. You've got 3 p.m. holiday trivia. Uh, You've got ice skating, which is not necessarily a Christmas thing, but 3.30, family Gilmore golf competition. Oh, wait, that has nothing to do with with Christmas. (laughs) I thought that was uh, something completely different. Uh, 3D Christmas movie, the Polar Express. So you get the idea, right? There's a lot of different events that are happening throughout the day, and a majority, the vast majority of them, if not all of them, will be happening on Christmas Day itself. So hopefully, Sarah, that helps you out uh, understanding what to expect. Maybe gives your son a little more uh, idea. But again, look at a past cruise compass because you know what? They don't really reinvent the wheel every single cruise. They're going to pretty much go with, what did we do last year? All right, let's do that again. There might be some variations, but it's probably a good idea of what to expect. Next is an email from Billy from Savannah, Georgia. Right, say, Matt, I am a huge fan of your podcast. I've been binge listening obsessively for the last few weeks. My wife and I used to cruise frequently, but unfortunately, it's been several years and two kids since the last time we cruised. We plan on breaking the dry spell, however, this November on Oasis of the Seas. We're super excited and are counting down the days. My wife and I have been vegetarian for the past year, and we're wondering what your advice is for getting the best vegetarian meals. I've heard you rave about your curry bowls, and I want to know what's in them. I've also heard that your dining room waiter can accommodate you with some of the off-menu veggie options. Also, this will be our first cruise with kids. They are ages four and one. Do you know if they ha- if we have a passport for them or will their birth certificates be enough? Thank you so much for the work and everything you do. Looking forward to the next podcast. Billy, thank you for the email. Great questions. So let's start off at the top. So vegetarian eating on Royal Caribbean is very easy. In the grand scheme of dietary needs, you're going to find a lot of options on the menu across Royal Caribbean that are vegetarian friendly. Meaning if you just sit down at the dining room, don't say a word and just pick up the menu or you go to the wind jammer 
or you go to a lot of different places, you're going to find a vegetarian option. In fact, in a lot of cases, you're going to find multiple vegetarian options. So, uh, also, depending on how much of a vegetarian you like, do you eat fish, do you eat dairy, you know, those kinds of things uh, may also make this more difficult or less uh, difficult for you. I would also point out that when I what I do in the main dining room is I let my, my uh, wait staff know that I, I don't have a dietary restriction. I just like Indian curry. But Indian curry is many times, I won't say inherently vegetarian, but there is a major vegetarian component to Indian curry. And usually, these days anyway, there are usually two options for me. There's a vegetarian curry option and a meat option. And Billy, you just tell your waiter which one you'd like, and they will bring it to you every night. It's usually a different one every single night, different variety. And there's a lot of different choices that are out there. And they work really well with you. I'll tell you, every time I ask for it, usually the head waiter comes over, you know, asks me what I thought about it. Is there something I like, I don't like? As an example, I don't really like dal, which is a type of Indian curry. Just ugh, even think about it now, it makes me want to not eat not eat it <laughs> but i'll tell you that there's a lot of i, I tell them you know are you do you eat meat or or, or veggie and i say i'll eat you know pretty much anything at least bring it over and i'll try it but the point is they're very you know they're very understanding and as long as you give them a notice about it they can definitely work with you to take especially if there's like a dish that's coming up that maybe you know it's got oh it's got everything everything's great except it's got like you know bacon bits on top or something to that effect you know, they can work with you on that. So let them know. But I think as a vegetarian, as opposed to like a vegan or someone who has more strict dietary needs, I find you're going to, there's going to be plenty for you to choose from. But again, feel free to always ask about things, have things altered. And otherwise just say, Hey, can we just get like something like this? You know, and maybe in the, in the morning for breakfast, some, you know, uh, my, my father's a pseudo vegetarian. It's a long story. I won't go into it, but he likes in the morning. He likes a nice array of just freshly cut vegetables to eat, you know, kind of like almost like a salad. And I'll talk to the waiter on the first day and they'll have it in the main dining room every morning for him. So you can always ask about those kinds of things in terms of your kids. Do you, the question was, do you, do you know if we need to have a passport for them or are their birth certificates are enough? Their birth certificates are certainly more than enough. You, but I will tell you from experience, you should get a passport. The reason to have a passport for adults is the same for children. If you ever need it because you got stuck somewhere outside of the country, having a passport is a night and day difference. Now, passports are a lot like insurance, right? It's, it's nice to have them, but it's things to pay for the things that you don't really need, right? Things you're not going to ever use. And most of the times, you never really use insurance, right? Think of it like your homeowner's insurance or other things. You just make that monthly payment and inevitably never use it, but at least you can sleep better at night knowing you have it. Passport's a lot like that. And I'll tell you that because maybe, you know, you, you were cruising before and now you're trying to get back into it, it's an investment in your family's travel future. Not just cruising, don't forget, because you could take non-cruising vacations. I know that's crazy to say, but the people, some people do land vacations and having a passport just makes it all that easier. If nothing else, it may just enable you to take more cruises. Imagine this conversation, right? You buy the passports for your kids and then you're talking to your wife about, oh, where should we go this year for for our vacation, and like, well, you bought the passports because that guy on the podcast told you to do it, so we're going to book another cruise and get our money's worth out of it. You're welcome. <laughs> so there you go. Have a great time on your cruise, Bill. I think you're going to have an awesome time, and uh, definitely spend a little money, invest in that passport. It's going to be so, so, so worth it. Next, we have an email from Danielle Evans from Atlanta, Georgia. He writes, hi, Matt. Love your podcast. It helps me get through the long 74 days till my next cruise. Me and my boyfriend are celebrating our anniversary on Independence of the Seas on uh, December 2018 out of Fort Lauderdale. This will be his second cruise on Royal Caribbean, but I have been on one to two Royal Caribbean cruises a year since I was nine years old. My first time on a Freedom Class ship was in 2008 on Liberty of the Seas when I was 16, and I'm hashtag proud millennial. And I fell in love with the Labyrinth nightclub on the ship. I'd wander through the club almost every day and dream of the day I turned 18 so I could finally experience it at night. 
Fast forward 10 years, and I was so excited to once again be on board. I knew Advance had recently been refurbished, but I was excited to book uh, to see the changes on one of my favorite ships. Then I learned the truth. The Labyrinth Nightclub was gone! Dramatic effect added by Matt. I was devastated and confused and slightly dramatic in my realization. Now I'm left wondering why Real Caribbean opted to get rid of the nightclub altogether. My question is, where are most late night dance parties held now that the club is gone? I can't imagine there being nowhere to dance and mingle on the ship after dark. Random side question. Any suggestions on excursions in Costa Maya? <laughs> what a random tangent. <laughs> this is the same thing. She didn't even like hit the enter button to go on a different line. It's in the same line. <laughs> I love that, Danielle. All right, so... Let's start with the basics. Why did Royal Caribbean get rid of its nightclubs? Not just on Independence, but pretty much on every single ship. So in the 90s and 2000s, Royal Caribbean added nightclubs to its ships, dedicated spaces that would offer a nightclub dance, which actually a lot of people liked. In fact, insert Michael Poole lamenting the loss of the nightclub as well. Danielle, he was probably also eight years old when he went on his cruise with you. And while you two were in Adventure Ocean together, uh, fast forward 10 years later, you're both lamenting the loss of the of the of the dance clubs. And the reason they got rid of it was because, sure, it served a great purpose at night, you know, from like late night, let's say 10 o'clock on. The problem was the rest of the day, it was completely empty. No one ever used that place. No one even went in that place. So it was a waste of space considering that it was only really in use for, you know, four or five hours a day. So Royal Caribbean said, you know what, we're going to take that space away and we're going to put something in there that will offer guests many more things to do, oftentimes at a, at a price. It's, there were staterooms that were added or restaurants. That's a different story for a different day. But I'll tell you that that's obviously part of the part of the deal there. So that's the impetus for why. You may not like it, but that's the reality of it. The good news, though, is there's still plenty of places for you to go party and enjoy and do all those fun things that you know will help you pass the evening. Yes, you're, you're absolutely correct. There is still plenty of partying going on. In fact, I'm looking at a past cruise compass for Independence of the Seas, and you're gonna have. I mean, we'll start with the we'll start with the early yet late stuff. I mean, you're gonna have Schooner Bar Entertainment. Uh, I'm looking at a recent cruise compass from Independence. You got seven seven forty five and the nine forty five p.m. to late in the Schooner Bar. Late means whenever they people leave. Uh, you've got Pub Entertainment also nine forty five p.m. to late. But the real dance music, like the the you know boom. <laughs> terrible i can already see some people writing me email matt please don't ever beatbox again on there uh that's happening there's the viking crown lounge is probably your go-to one that's deck 14 there's always a party in there the star lounge has a uh, dance night away with party band pulse 11 15 late you've got hush silent disco in the viking crown 10 p.m to midnight so you're gonna have dance parties you're going to have plenty of the oops 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 <laughs> I'm cringing at my own. It's bad. Sometimes I like I'll sing on here, and I think I'm not that bad. I'm cringing at my own impersonations here. That's how bad it is. But yeah, there's plenty of places Danielle to get your party on. Don't worry about that. I mean, are there like is an overwhelming amount? No, but there's going to be a dance party. It's going to be almost your go-to spot is going to be the Viking Crown Lounge. Certainly after you know 10:30 or so, that's when everybody goes up because a lot of the other all the venues kind of closed, and you'll get the DJ music going on there. There's plenty of places. Don't worry about that. You'll you'll be good to go. Our next email is from Martina, who writes, We're cruising on Harmony of the Seas in May with a group of 11. We're trying to figure out if we purchase a four-device internet package and split it between the five people with the fifth person, a uh, boot a person when I log on, or would they have to wait for the person to log off before they can use it? We don't want to have someone booted off while making a video call or something. Uh, Martina, the answer is that fifth, if, if, if all the slots, essentially, in the internet package are used up, the last, that fifth person would get a message saying, you have too many devices logged on, please log off. I think back in the day, it used to kick somebody off. I remember doing that to my wife, I think. But 
These days, you just get that error message and then you do the old, hey, who's using the internet around here? Who's using it? Did you log off? You do that thing, right? And then you just, <laughs> anyway, yeah, you're gonna message about it and then you have to wait for somebody to log. So no, no worries, you're not gonna kick off somebody while they're uh, pouring their heart out to their significant other uh, out there. All right, time for one more email, and it is from... Actually, you know what? We'll do two more emails. I'm feeling generous today. It's from Ethan Bolmer. It's, Matt, after all the work looking to Alaska cruises for the summer, it looks like we've changed our plans and we're doing a waste of the season in December. We're going to Nassau, St. Thomas, and St. Martin. We decided to do a private catamaran in St. Martin, but are looking to do some fun excursions in St. Thomas and Nassau. We've done Atlantis and Nassau and are looking to avoid those this time. Any great recommendations? We don't have any kids on the trip, so don't that won't limit us either. Ooh. All right, so fun excursions to do in St. Thomas. If you've never been to St. Thomas before, you have to. You gots to go over to Megan's Bay. It is the place to go. It's a beautiful beach, state park. Uh, incredible place. That, that's what I would do. In fact, you might even want to tack on some sort of a tour that takes you to some of the highlights of St. Thomas and then ends up at the beach. You know, Megan's Bay, it's up to you how you roll there. That That's a fun one. I would also point out, actually, you know what I would do? I'm going to take all that back. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to get off the ship. You're then going to take a taxi over to Havensite and take a trip up. There's a a gondola ride, a mountain ride that takes you up the side of a mountain. You go up to, I forget what this mountain's called, Lookout Point. We have a review at realgreenblog.com. If you just search for uh, St. Thomas, you'll find the, the post over there. And that's awesome. You see the top of the mountain. You get an excellent view. You can then come back down the mountain, then take a taxi, go to Megan's Bay, enjoy the beach. Now, if you've been to St. Thomas before, Ethan, if you've been there before, then what you absolutely, positively, without a doubt, want to do is go to St. John's. Uh, you need to. You can book this through Royal Caribbean. You can do this on your own. I did it on my own. Uh, you can go back and forth as to which has a better choice there. But you need to take a ferry ride over to St. John's. It will blow your mind. It's so good. Uh, say, well, why should I do that if it was my first time, Matt? Well, if you're going to St. Thomas. We'll take advantage of St. Thomas. Say you've been there. It's kind of you know you'll have an opportunity to go back to St. John's. It's not going anywhere. But uh, if you've been to St. Thomas before, then go to St. John. For Nassau, I'm going to give you two choices as well. If you're looking for a beach day, I would recommend the Nassau. British Colonial Hilton. It is a day pass you can purchase there uh, through third-party websites like Resort for a Day or Shore Excursioneer. Uh, basically, you just buy a pass there. It includes access to the pool, to the beach, and it also includes a drink and food stipend. It's not all-inclusive, but there's that drink and food stipend, which will at least get you a couple of rounds of drinks and, and lunch, right? Uh, but if you're interested in something a little different, I'm actually trying this out. So I have no idea if this is any good, Ethan, but I've heard some really good reviews from some of my friends who've gone there. There's actually a flight simulator school in NASA, believe it or not. Uh, there, I've been in NASA so many times, and I've never done this. Uh, there's a flight simulator. I'm pulling, as you can hear me typing over here, pulling up the place. It's called uh, Jetline Simulation. It's right near where you dock. It's like you have to go like three hours to get there. And uh, basically, you go on a flight simulator and you get to fly a 737. Something different, to say the least. And look, hearing that, everyone listening right now has got one of two reactions. Like, what a nerd Matt is. That sounds awful. And the other people are saying, what a nerd Matt is. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Either way, you know, you'll find something to do there. Uh, that, that'd be my recommendation. Also, really, was a little more, uh, you want to go to, like, you still want that, like, resort experience, want something different than the British Colonial Hilton, look into the ba uh, Bahama Mar. It's kind of a, a Atlantis light is the best way I can describe it. So, there you go. All right, I promised you guys one more question, and I think this will be our last question. It's from Brad 
Hage, who writes, Hey Matt, I love your podcast. I've been binge listening for the last couple of months as my wife and I are getting ready for our third Royal Caribbean cruise. We're departing October 28th on Oasis of the Seas. Welcome back. Our first trip on a mega ship. We're super excited. This is our 10th cruise, but we have never done specialty dining with Royal Caribbean. I got a great deal in a three-night dining package with a cruise planner sale. I read, and I think I remember you saying, that they signed the first night, and then you go from there. My question is, when you, where do I go once we get on board to schedule the restaurants and times that we want? Hope you can help me. I really want to try 150 Central Park and Chops, but I also don't want to have to eat at 5 o'clock or some crazy late time. Uh, Brad, there you go. Good, good question. So with specialty dining packages, yes, they will assign you something, but you can change all of it. Here are the rules. Here's how it works. When you buy a dining package, when you get on board the ship, you go and make reservations. I recommend making it on day one as soon as you can. That way you have the most availability to choose from. It doesn't matter what they pick for you. It's almost irrelevant. You can just... I, in fact, I think every single time I've had a dining package, I don't even know what they booked for me. I think I just end up switching it all. But um, you could keep what they have. But regardless, you just you can go to a number of places. You can go to any specialty restaurant and make a reservation, and they can book other reservations. They're, they're, the specialty restaurant booking system is interlinked. So if you go to Chops Grill and book a reservation for Chops, they can also book your reservations for Giovanni's 150 and any other place. It's the same system. So they can, they have access to all that. So you can do that. You can go to guest services. And in a lot of cases, when we, like on Harmony of the Seas, Brad, uh, and some other, they had actually had a dedicated station. Like on Harmony, in near the main dining room, there was actually an area set up just for people with specialty dining packages. And there were a couple of crew members with computers and you could go there and quickly make reservations. That way they could process you a whole lot faster and take away the confusion and whatnot. So uh, that's the bottom line is you're going to find places to go to find that spot. If they offer it, just look in your boarding day cruise compass. That That's how I knew about it. We checked in at the terminal and then there was a little pamphlet they, they give to you for boarding day. And there was a note on there. Hey, if you have dining packages, you can go over there, but you can always go to guest services. If the line is too long, then just go to a specialty restaurant and they can help uh, book you over there as well. So uh, in terms of other places that I would recommend, uh, if I had three restaurants on 150 and on on the on an Oasis class ship, I would say 150 Central Park, Izumi, Chops. Uh-huh. Sabor is really good. I think you could do Sabor, pay cash for it. It's better. I think it's a better value. You're gonna get more money. You're gonna get more for your money in those other places I mentioned over there. And of course, Hibachi, Izumi Hibachi, which is not including your dining package, is well worth the cost, as you heard earlier in this episode. But that's not including the package. Just so pay extra for that one uh, outside of the package. So there you go, Brad. And thank you to everybody for checking in on this week's episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. If you want to send me your emails, you can always do so by sending to Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon. <laughs>